following is a true story and contains graphic details of a gruesome crime. Details may not be suitable for all listeners. A quick reminder that everyone is innocent until proven guilty. September 17, 2020 will mark 40 years since the Carlin Vickies murders have walked free. Welcome back to Murder at Land Between the Lakes. It's hard to believe that this is our 14th episode. And going into this episode, we are approaching an all-new milestone. To date, we have reached almost 40,000 downloads. Carla and Vicky's story is being heard around the world, and that's because of you. And speaking of you, we're doing things a little bit differently this episode. We've decided to enlist each one of you for your help. In this episode, you will all get to be citizen detectives. Push pause on your device and grab a pen and paper so you can take notes. Okay, are you back? Let's get into it. Okay, so Lainey, I want to start by telling you all about this amazing audible I just listened to by Billy Jensen called Chase Darkness With Me. Billy Jensen is a true crime writer who actually started solving murders. And in this audible, he details how his passion for writing about true crime turned into him looking deeper and fighting with the families to help them find answers. These are not the crimes that were grabbing headlines like John Benet Ramsey or OJ Simpson, but stories that are lurking in the shadows. Families weren't able to get answers or the justice they deserved. It reminded me a lot of Carla and Vicky's story and the town of Dover, but I really love the chapter where he talked about his friendship with a certain citizen detective housewife named Michelle McNamara. Michelle was an American true crime author and was the author of I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Michelle was, an obsessive, was on an obsessive search for the Golden State Killer. Actually, she is even the one who helped coin the phrase Golden State Killer because he had so many other nicknames. Unfortunately, Michelle died in her sleep one night before she could complete her book. Jensen was completely devastated as the two had become super close and were just about to start up a group of informed citizen detectives to meet on a monthly basis to help solve unsolved crimes. Their strategy was that each sleuth in this group would have a specific skill set, such as, say, maybe one was a psychiatrist, one was a genealogist, one was a reporter, a retired cop maybe, a teacher. You get what I mean, but each case would look very different. You may need a hairdresser like on Legally Blonde or an automotive expert like in My Cousin Vinny, maybe a real estate agent, a chef, or I just really think it depends on the crime. But Jensen went on to complete McNamara's book. The book was released two years after her death and the Golden State Killer, Joseph James D'Angelo, was caught just two months later. I highly recommend everyone to listen to this amazing Audible. The reason I tell you all about this is because I think this is exactly how Carla and Vicky's case can be solved, with everyone's help. A wealth of information that has been crowdsourced from everyone in the community. This week alone, we've received extra help from two more individuals with a special set of skills that we're going to find very useful. So thank you. You know exactly who you are. 
so Lainey, so my family and I, we drove home from Florida last week. So we would not be facing this virus in the airports. And my husband and I started Murder at Land Between the Lakes over from the very beginning. And honestly, I can't believe how far we've come. I would say the audio quality does vary from time to time. <laughs> so I want to thank everyone for not giving us too hard of a time for that. We are still recording from our phones, so nothing fancy here. Still new at all of this, and I, I'd say we're still learning as we go. <laughs> yeah, and definitely given the time that we are all social distancing, um, this technology is becoming even more important for us. Um, but the honest truth is that we are doing this podcast only to find answers for the family. There are no ulterior motives. We only want to see the person who committed this crime to pay for it. We hope that anyone listening feels the exact same way. If you know anything at all that you find in your heart to come forward with, um, you know, let us know what you know. Now that we've said all that, here are some of the unusual or weird things that we've uncovered during our citizen sleuthing. How can you help? Before we begin, we will preface by saying, if you have any information or answers to any of these questions, we can assure you that your information will get to the right authorities and will be kept confidential. All we want to do is find out who is responsible for the murder of Carla and Vicki. Okay, get your pen and paper ready and prepare for this unusual episode of You Be the Detective. We will start with a few simple, for lack of a better word, questions before we move on to other things. So question, do any of our listeners know of a relationship between Carla and any older men or boys in weeks preceding her death? Think through that question. The girls had lived in Paris, Tennessee before they moved to Dover, Tennessee. So think about that. Question, did any of our listeners communicate with Carla and or Vicki on the day they went missing, or the day before. Very important. Would love to know any, any information if you have. Question. Did drugs have anything to do with the girl's murder? Whether it be just kids doing drugs, a drug ring, were Carla and Vicky scheduled to testify in court in Henry County about drug-related charges? Or maybe even something bigger? <laughs> That's kind of a loaded question. But I guess at the end of the day, is, is, were drugs related at all is a big question that we have. Okay, so here's a scenario. This past February, reporter Burton Staggs shared a post about the podcast and about Carla and Vicki. Mr. Staggs has a rather large following of readers, listeners, and fans. So we are grateful that not only was he sharing the link to the podcast, but he was also sharing Carla and Vicki's story to his audience. There were a lot of comments and shared concern, but one particular participant raised eyebrows very quickly. A lady that goes by the username Linda Barnes, we can only assume that is her name, had this to say, quote, only one young married man that knew the girls. Girls were friends of his sister. He drove a flatbed truck. 
he still lives in the community with a family of his own. He has souvenirs from the killing. Big church-going guy, maybe a deacon in a church. Tall, slim guy that wears a hat. Catch that SOB and put him behind bars. Prayers to the family and friends of the two young girls. R.I.P. End quote. Other citizens went wild on this lady, asking for more information, not necessarily on the attack, but more so that she was so brazen about knowing who it was and that she was so, so casually coming forward. But what she said next was even more shocking. Quote, souvenirs are hidden in a toolbox in his barn. End quote. What? <gasps> I remember right where you and I were sitting, Amelia, when this post came through, jaw dropping on the floor. We were actually on our road trip to Tennessee. Do you remember this? I remember. I remember exactly where we were as well. But anyway, with those final words from Linda Barnes, as far as we know, she went dark. I don't know if it was all too much for her, if she was telling the truth, if she realized she was in over her head. But from that moment on, what I realized is that we had an army of people that were looking for answers. So the question here is, does anyone out there know what Linda Barnes is referencing? Talk to Ms. Barnes in more detail accusation. Throughout our investigation, we've repeatedly heard about a young deputy that was a little sweet on young Carla that he sat and watched her from the hood of his car on various occasions. If anyone in Dover has more information they would like to share on the behavior of this deputy, we would love to hear from you. Now, there is another subject we'd like to address that we haven't mentioned yet, but it's been brought to our attention more than once. This is about a bachelor party that was possibly held in Bumpus Mills on February 1980. We are still trying to confirm that date. From my understanding, there were a lot of nefarious things that happened at that party. Why is it important to this case? Well, several names that have been brought up in this case were in attendance at this party. Our source says that a young girl was brought to the party, possibly from Kentucky. The young girl was seen crying. She was completely drugged up and unconscious at times. She was passed around the party as a party favor, and different men had sex with her. One source said the poor, that the poor girl did not survive the night. Could that be possible? Could that many people keep a secret? What did happen to that poor K Kentucky girl? Who was she? Whose bachelor party was it? Who was the best man at this party? Were you there? Now is the time to speak up. We will not reveal your name. You don't even have to tell us your name. Just tell us what happened. On our Facebook page, we shared a cover page of a notebook that Carla had doodled on. The notebook had several names on it. Was your name on it? Was someone you know on it? Carla must have thought a lot of you or all of the people on it to inscribe those names. You could see the love she had for her sister, Vicky, and all of her friends. She even wrote, quote, Carla was here, 8 end quote. That's August 28th, 1980, just 20 days before she and Vicky went missing. 
What did Carla mean when she said, quote, Carla was here, at least for a while, end quote. Not long before the girls went missing, Carla asked her older sister, Trish Gordon, if she could come live with her and her husband, Bobby. They had just taken in her younger brother, Joel, so they told her that unfortunately, they weren't able to take her in at that time. They just weren't able to take them both. To this day, Trish and Bobby both always wonder why Carla wanted to leave home and why they always wonder if things would have been different if they had let her come and live with them. They also wonder, did Carla know something was about to happen? Do you know if Carla was scared of something or someone? There are conflicting reports on who Carla may have been dating, but she was only 14. So was she really dating anyone? We do know she looked older than 14 and was forced to grow up a little sooner than most due to the nature of the household. On her autopsy report, there was a note that stated, quote, boyfriend gave a necklace, gave a silver necklace recently, and she hasn't had it off her neck since he gave it to her. This, end quote, this handwritten statement is sourced by TBI agent Jack Charlton. That necklace was not found on her body as part of her belongings. So our question is, does anyone know who gave Carla this necklace and where could it be now? And the bigger question is, who gave Agent Charlton this information about the necklace? It wasn't Margie Nell. We've asked her and she never had knowledge of this necklace. Next, let's talk about Vicki and her boyfriend or supposed boyfriend, Randall Riggins. Again, there are conflicting report about Randall's whereabouts at the time of Carla and Vicky's abduction. But we will come back to that. Let's talk about the relationship. Early on in the podcast, we heard from Randall's sister, Leslie. She stated that on the day the girls went missing, Vicky told Randall she was pregnant. The record, her autopsy report did not state that she was pregnant. But thinking back to Carla's notebook... There's a doodle of Vicky's name over Randall's name with a heart beside it. And on the other page, in Carla's neat cursive writing, it just has Randall Riggins' name. Now, back to the day the girls went missing. We heard that Randall went to the girls' house in the morning to pick up Randy, the girl's brother, to go to court and presumably say goodbye to Vicky. Court records show Randy, Randall, and a third person, Bobby Morgan, were all held in jail on drug charges. Randy Stout, their brother, said he only was in he was he was the only one held in jail. According to eyewitnesses, Randall was spotted later that day around 3:30 in a greenish van with the girls at the IGA grocery store. Quick recap. According to the eyewitness, the girls arrived at the store with Randall but didn't leave with him. Randall himself told a source that the van belonged to another girlfriend named Mary. So were Randall and Vicky serious at the time? Was Randall Vicky's only boyfriend at the time? If Vicky was pregnant, was she trying to tell Randall that morning that he was the father or was she trying to tell him about another man? A recent citizen detective told us that Vicki and Greg Charlton were seeing each other. 
We've never been able to make a connection to Greg and the girls, but could this be it? Could this be why he was at their residence more than once yelling at them to come out? There are a lot of questions in this scenario here, but did you ever see Vicky with Randall or Greg? Hi, listeners. We want to take a quick break and talk to you about a missing person in the Dover, Tennessee area, and we're hoping you can help us. Kevin Cates was last seen August 27, 2019. Mr. Cates is 54 years old. He is 5'7 and weighs about 155 pounds to 165 pounds. He was last seen on Highway 120, just north of Bumpus Mills, walking north after running off the road. If you have any information about the potential whereabouts of Kevin Cates, please contact the Stewart County Sheriff's Office, 931-232-6863. The family believes he could have been around four to five miles of the place he left the road when the first search happened. The family would very much like for the searches to continue when the time is right. There can be no closure until he is found. If anyone has any information of where Mr. Cates' whereabouts could be, please contact the Stewart County Sheriff's Department. Again, the number is 931-232-6863. Thank you. In the last couple of weeks, we've had a caller call and tell us that two years after the murders, the late Sheriff David Hicks took inmates down to the murder scene to cut, to cut down firewood. He walked around in big circles with a double barrel sawed off 12 gauge shotgun while they cut the firewood. And he told the inmates, have you ever, quote, <laughs> Have you ever heard that the guy that does the crime comes back to the scene? End quote. This caller has called us twice and thinks it's important. Question for our listeners. Why do you think this information could be significant? This citizen has told us he has more information to share with us at a later date. So caller, our line is open. Just last week, a relative of Carla and Vicky, who is very active in reposting articles about the girls, posted the news link to the Farrier Files that aired on February 14th. And a guy by the name of Donald Wallace publicly made a shocking comment that once again had family members and concerned citizens up in arms. Mr. Wallace wrote, quote, I told the TBI who did it, and they just don't believe me because I was 12 years old. But the fact is, I know who did it, and I told them, and they don't care, end quote. After some pressure from family members, and even myself, to speak to someone about what he knew, he said, quote, no, I would not have spoke to the TBI. They don't care about what's been said, so I can't say anything more, end quote. That's all a little confusing. Then, with a little more pressure, he added, quote, I will speak to law enforcement 
when they come to me. I've already done it over and over, and it's very tiring to me, but that's because I was 12 years old when this occurred, and they don't believe me about what I have to say. I cannot make people believe anything. The blue truck I was in, it the girls got in the blue truck. The girls died that night. I can't say anything more, end quote. The girl's sister, Trish Gordon, publicly pleaded with him to do more to please speak with her privately to answer more questions for her, and he refused. Does anyone have any knowledge of Mr. Wallace's allegations? So, is Donna Wallace saying he was in the truck when the girls were picked up? It's very confusing because he didn't have any punctuation or commas between anything. It was one big long run-on sentence. In Dover, there is a reporter by the name of David Ross that has spent most of his career helping the family to try and find answers. I spoke with Mr. Ross when we first started this podcast, and he told me that trying to find answers to this case was like trying to squeeze water in your hand, that this case was sort of like his white whale. I really feel like this case is very personal to him. We do know that he has a wealth of knowledge on this case. He spent 40 years reporting on the case, doing his own investigative research, and is a true journalist. He has publicly stated that on Sheriff David Hicks's deathbed, the sheriff called him to his bedside to tell him something about the case. Ross said he will not reveal what the late sheriff told him until the time is right. He hasn't even told the family what he said. What did the sheriff... What did Sheriff Hicks say to David Ross that he will not reveal? And when will the time be right? Wow. That was a lot. This may turn into a two-part series. Who knows? It just might. We will have to wait and see. But seriously, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. You all have lended to the podcast. I think we can speak on behalf of the family in saying that this is the most attention the case has gotten in over 40 years. And again, that is because of you, all of our listeners. So if you have any answers to any of the questions we asked or information to share, you feel, or you feel the need to reach out to us, you can direct message us on our Facebook page at murder at land between the lakes. You can email us at discrepancypod at gmail.com. Or you can call us anonymously on the tip line at 609-429-0371. That's 609-429-0371. Our line is open and you don't have to leave your name. It will come directly to us. Thank you for listening to Murder at Land Between the Lakes. This is an anchor production, hosted and edited by Lainey Sullivan and Amelia Courtney at Discrepancy Podcast.